Well, we turn this morning to Numbers chapter 7. Uh, part of it's printed out in your bulletin. It's probably helpful to use a Bible, and there are a number of Bibles under the chairs, either right below you or right next to you. Um, number 7 is a long chapter. In fact, it's actually the second longest chapter in the Bible, behind Psalm 119. Uh, it's also one of the most repetitive chapters of Scripture. Uh, we won't read the entire thing, but if we did, you'd, you'd get both the length and the repetition. Now, we're going to read part of it, and, uh, and I'll actually pause at a few points to, to help us understand what's, what's happening and what we're skipping over. Uh, but uh, but it can be helpful to have the whole chapter in front of you so you can kind of follow and see, see what comes before and, and the, the whole flow of the, of the passage. So it's Numbers chapter 7. Oh, if you got the Black Bible, it should be page 114. 114, sorry. Black Bible 114. Number 7. Uh, we'll, we'll start reading at verse 1. On the day when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle and had anointed and consecrated it with all its furnishings, and had anointed and consecrated the altar with all its utensils, the chiefs of Israel, heads of their fathers' houses, who were the chiefs of the tribes who were over those listed, uh, approached and brought their offerings before the Lord, six wagons and twelve oxen, a wagon for each two of the chiefs, uh, and for each one an ox. Uh, they brought them before the tabernacle. Then the Lord said to Moses, Accept these from them, that they may be used in the service of the tent of meeting, and give them to the Levites, to each man according to his service. So Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon according to their service, and four wagons and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari according to their service, under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. But to the sons of Kohath, he gave none, because they were charged with the service of the holy things that had to be carried on the shoulder. Okay, so pause there. What number seven essentially gives us is God's people giving two rounds of gifts. Uh, two rounds of gifts. Here's the first round of giving, and it's wagons and oxen. Uh, Six wagons, 12 oxen uh, are given. We're told that they go to the service of the Levites. You might remember, that as we've studied, Levites in, in this Old Testament context are tasked with uh, guarding and serving the tabernacle. This tent of meeting, it's called here. Tabernacle that is the dwelling place, special dwelling place of the glory of God there in the wilderness. It's a fancy, ornate tent with a courtyard. Well, it's the Levites who care for it, and especially are in charge of, of, of packing up and transporting the different pieces of the tabernacle. And so they're going to get to use the wagons to do the transporting. Uh, and uh, different groups of Levites, divisions of Levites, get different amounts according to what they need to carry. Uh, so the one group uh, gets two wagons because the, that division of Levites carries the, the tent cloth and the, the veils, they get two wagons. There's a, another division that gets four wagons because they carry more heavier things, more and heavier things. So they carry the tent posts and the, the pillars and the bases. That's heavy stuff. So they get four wagons for that. Then we told that the final division of Levites, they don't get any wagons uh, because they are the ones in charge of the furniture, 
the ark and the altars and the lampstand. And that, because it's especially holy, has to be carried by hand, uh, poles put through, carried on, on the shoulders. So first round of giving, uh, the carts and the oxen for the transporting of the tabernacle. Now on to the second round of giving. Uh, and we pick up with verse 10. <clears throat> and the chiefs offered offerings for the dedication of the altar on the day it was anointed. And the chiefs offered their offerings before the altar. And the Lord said to Moses, They shall offer their offerings one chief each day for the dedication of the altar. He who offered his offering the first day was Nashon, the son of Amminadab, of the tribe of Judah. His offering was one silver plate, whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, and one golden dish of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Nashon, the son of Aminadab. So we'll pause there. Uh, so here you have the second round of gifts, and we're told what this, these gifts are for. They're for the dedication uh, of the altar. The, the, the altar that's just been anointed is now dedicated and kind of initiated in its in its service. This is the bronze altar that would be in the courtyard uh, outside the, the tent, God's tent, the tabernacle, the place where, where offerings would be presented as a part of sacrifices and worship of God. And here we're told it's, it's dedicated, initiated with this series of gifts from the different tribes. Uh, and Moses is told that each tribe is to each take a day. So you have 12 days of dedication uh, and, and on each day, you get a different tribal leader who brings the gifts from that tribe. Uh, and what we read was the first tribe to come on day one, the tribe of Judah, led by their chief. Uh, if we kept reading, you'd go through all 12 of the tribes, uh, one for each day, and you'd see uh, the great repetition, the exact same offering for each tribe. In fact, it's the exact same language uh, for each tribe, day one, day two, day three, day four, all the way up to day 12. Uh, and then what uh, verses, uh, eight, that's all the way to verse 83. So one tribe for each day bringing these gifts for the dedication of the altar. Uh, verses 84 to 86 gives them the sum total of what's given. It's just each day multiplied by 12. Uh, so you get the sum in, in that day, 84 to 86, all for the dedication of the altar. And then you get this final concluding verse. Uh, and we'll, and we'll, we'll read it and take a look at this one in a few minutes. Uh, verse 89, this is the conclusion of all of this. And when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the Ark of the Testimony, from between the two cherubim, and it spoke to him. God's word to us. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would use this passage of Scripture uh, to encourage, to strengthen, to teach your people. Uh, even here, we do pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, picture for a minute, Christmas Day. Christmas Day. Gathered with big gathering of family, and Christmas Day, big part of it, gifts. Which do you prefer? Christmas Day, gathered with your family. Do you prefer giving or receiving? Which, which does your mind focus in on, 
right? The giving of gifts or the receiving of gifts? Christmas Day. Okay, how about Sunday in church? You're gathered with your family in the Lord. Which do you prefer? Giving or receiving? How about the whole of your Christian life? The whole of your walk with the Lord down through the years. Uh, which do you focus in on, prefer giving or receiving? Now, if you go back to that Christmas Day illustration and, and picture, you know that, at least in most families and most celebrations, in order to really do it such the way it's not awkward and weird, you got to do both the giving and the receiving. Right? you got, you got to do both in the midst of that gathering. In fact, maybe you've run into a situation where there's someone comes, uh, an adult, uh, and all they want to do is one of those. And it just gets weird. You know, the, 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 the one family member uh, who refuses to give anybody anything, uh, right? they get gifts, but they're not giving anybody. It's just, that's kind of what's going on there. Or, just as awkward sometimes, is the person who refuses to accept anything. Right? They, they like to give, but no, 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 don't want anything. Right? It, it, it doesn't really work. So for it to work, it's got to be both the giving and the receiving. Well, that's really what the Christian life is about. Now, it, it involves both giving and receiving. And if you, if you try to just pick one, right, it really messes up the whole thing. It's got to be both giving and receiving. Although in the Christian life, there's this added importance of you need to get the connection between them right. So like Christmas morning, you got to do both. Uh, but, but the added element that in order for it to really work, you have to understand the relationship between giving and receiving. Get that one wrong, and you really lose the glory of the gospel. You really lose the Christian life. But get it right, and you get the glory of what God has done and the life he calls us to. Giving and receiving. Well, our passage here, in its context, is really all about God's people giving and receiving. And as we've done throughout our study in Numbers, uh, we're recognizing this is the old covenant people of God. So we're not studying this, so we do exactly what they did. Right? Don't come next week uh, and uh, have a representative to bring the lambs to church or something. Don't, don't need that. Um, but we're looking at what God had his people do then so that we get an illustration, a picture of what it's like to be God's people in the midst of the wilderness today. So what do we learn from number seven in context uh, about giving and receiving? Well, here's the first thing. Giving flows from grace. Giving flows from grace or giving flows from receiving. So look at where the, the passage begins. Verse one. On the day when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle and had anointed it and consecrated it. So we're, we're getting given a time stamp here. It's on a very specific day. It's that day when Moses finished setting up the, this, this tabernacle of the Lord and anointed it. Which uh, is an event which has been described in pretty significant detail back in Exodus 40, the very end of the book of Exodus. Uh, which means uh, that number seven is actually a flashback. Uh, it, it's, it's not, you can even compare the dates of Numbers 1, chapter, verse one, chapter 1, verse 1, 
and you realize uh, that's talking about the second month first day. And here we have first month first day. So in other words, numbers is going along, get to number seven, and it's flashback a month. Now you probably know from watching movies uh, that, that whenever you're given a flashback, it, it's, it's not a coincidence, uh, there's something intentional going on, the filmmaker knows what he's doing, and he's putting a flashback at a particular point because he wants you to connect it. So we might ask ourselves, uh, as we get this flashback, why here? Why put this chapter all about God's people giving and giving and more giving? Why put it here? Um, maybe the most helpful thing is to remember what came right before it in the movie of Numbers. Right before the flashback, what did we study last week? Number six, if you got it open, you can even see it. Uh, the very last passage was that great and glorious passage about the blessing of God upon his people. Right? The blessing that coming from the Lord, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Right? The Lord, and we were very careful to notice that this is not a prayer, it's a pronouncement. Right? It's God giving something. And it's the, the, the whole uh, wonderful, saving, uh, fellowship blessing of the Lord that he puts upon his people. You're my people, and I'm going to shine my face upon you and keep you and care for you. And that's, that's the, the gift that God gives, number six. And it's then and only then that you get number seven, where God's people give. And the order seems to be intentional. First, God's people receive, and then and only then they give. Which, of course, is the story of all of, of this opening part of, of God's word, right? God's people uh, give, yes, they're called to, absolutely, but what has come before? God came to them and he rescued them. God came to them when they're slaves in Egypt, and it wasn't because uh, he didn't rescue them because first they were giving all kinds of good things. Maybe God will rescue us from Egypt if we give him enough. Nope. God initiated, God gave salvation, God gave rescue from Egypt, and now in the wilderness, God's people return uh, and give in response. You can even look at it this way. Uh, where did God's people get all this stuff? Uh, all this stuff, and we read through it, it really hammered home. All this silver, all this gold. I mean, where did they get it? They're escaped slaves. How did they get all this riches? You might even remember the story. Uh, it's, it's as they're way, on their way out of Egypt, God says to them, oh, by the way, as you're leaving Egypt, uh, ask your neighbors to give you gold and silver. And I'm going to work in their hearts, they're going to give it to you. That's what they're giving now to the Lord. So do you see the picture? They're, they're actually giving to God what God had just gave to them. They received it from the Lord, and now they're giving God back just a portion of it. Right? So it's this, this highlighting the fact that Yes, God's people are called to give, but it flows out of God's gift to them. It flows out of their receiving that they're, that they're called to give. And of course, this is, this is the same with us as God's people today. The, uh, the gifts are slightly different. We don't bring lambs, but we're called to give. That's part of the New Testament call of the Christian, whether it's, whether it's giving monetarily. Um, that, that's part of it. Um, actually, uh, well, giving monetarily, or, or, or Paul even makes that point of, 
uh, of giving our very selves to the Lord and connects it to the Old Covenant by saying we are to give ourselves as living sacrifices. Right? So like, the, like God's people in, in, in the Old Testament, like number seven, they're bringing lambs. Uh, God says to the New Testament people, yeah, you're to, bring, you're to bring sacrifices too, only it's ourselves. It's our very being. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. But just like in number seven, uh, we do that only because God is first given to us. Paul says that in number in Romans 12 because he has first laid out numbers 1 to 11, the salvation that God gave to his people. And he says, give in view of God's mercies, in view of what God has given. Right? So, so we don't give as those who are in Egypt saying we're still slaves, uh, but maybe if we give enough this morning, uh, God's going to be nice to us. No. God says free in Christ. Uh, as well as we'll talk about, that God gave his son. God gave this salvation uh, in Christ. It's ours as a, as a free gift, uh, Paul highlights, right? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. This is something we've received, and then the giving is, is, is a response to it. Which, for us, too, is reflected in the fact that the only thing we ever give to the Lord is things he first gave to us. Right? Do you think about any money that you, you give to the Lord's work? It's only because God gave it to you. Right? Who gave you that job? Who gave you that brain to get that job or that education to get that job? Right? All, all that came from, from the Lord. Same with your, same with your talents uh, and, your, and your time that you might dedicate to the Lord's service. It all came from him, just like the, the Israelites receiving gold from the Lord so they can give it back to him. And that's what we do. It's highlighting that fact uh, that it's uh, grace that then flows into giving. Uh, it's receiving uh, that then overflows into our giving. Uh, and so we, we highlight the fact of, of God taking the initiative, of God pouring out his mercies on us, and our gifts are but a, are but a reflection or a response uh, to that. you got to get the order. You need both, God says in the Christian life, but you got to get the relationship, right? It's, it's receiving that flows into giving. Uh, it's grace uh, that flows into, into giving. Secondly, giving that enables ministry and worship. So here we look at what the, the giving in number seven actually went to. Uh, and, and we tried to, to see in the midst of our reading that it wasn't just giving for any old purpose. It had very specific needs in mind. So two rounds of gifts, uh, but both of them enable ministry and worship. Right? So the first round of gifts, the, the carts and the oxen, it, that were gifts specifically targeted so that those Levites would have what they need to transport the, the tabernacle from one place to another. So that always when God's people would move uh, this special tent, right, the symbolic dwelling place of God, it would go with them. Uh, right? They're enabling the worship of this God and the ministry uh, of, of God's people uh, to, care for, to care for it. Uh, and then that's the same thing in the second round of gifts. Right? We said all these 12 days of identical offerings from every tribe, it was for a particular purpose. It was to dedicate and initiate the, the, the ministry of the altar which was where uh, God's people would bring offerings day after day, where, where, where we'll talk about how it's, is this picture of sacrifice for sin, 
right? The sin offerings, burn offerings that are mentioned here have that emphasis on God dealing with sin. Um, but that's not all the author is about, just, just symbolically dealing with sin. It's also a, a key part of worship, which is why the grain offerings and the peace offerings, what's highlighted there is really the worship of God. And what's being kick-started here in this chapter is the ongoing, daily, morning, evening, day after day after day, God's people worshiping him. Uh, God present with his people and God's people worshiping him. So you see what the, see what the offerings go to. They go specifically uh, for, the, for the ministry uh, of the Lord uh, and the worship of the Lord, which is exactly what God calls us to give to in our day. Now we don't have a tent uh, that we're, we're supposed to care for. Uh, the, the church is not about buildings, it's about people. Uh, but there's that same theme. God calls us to give, uh, but not just give in any old random way, but give specifically to support the, the ministry of the kingdom and, and the worship of God. Uh, Paul actually makes the connection, drawing back to that altar, uh, and says, uh, yeah, this is actually, in a New Testament perspective, Part of how we we understand why you can pay uh, preachers of the gospel, he says. Oh yeah, go back to the old covenant. Uh, the priests got to got to eat some of what was offered on the altar. It supported the priests. He said. So now in the New Testament, it's legit for the giving of God's people to support the preaching of the gospel. Right, giving just like it was in the old. Now giving supporting the the work of the of the ministry. Uh, or, or the you know the giving in monetary terms, but of course giving in service, giving of ourselves. Uh, part of what God, a key part of what we're called to do in response to God's gift to us, is offer our very selves to Him, uh, specifically to to the worship of God and the ministry of of the kingdom. Uh, again, it only flows out of, of what He's given to us, but it's the it's the calling of God's people. So. Maybe part of the application and the pondering of number seven is, is you as an individual and maybe as a family asking yourself, what does it look like for us to excel in the grace of giving? That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He calls the Corinthians to excel in this grace of giving. What does it look like? Not just for us as God's people to, to give, but to, to excel in, in, in the grace of giving. What does that look like uh, in all its, all its aspects? Ponder that as you think about the worship of God, the ministry of the kingdom. One final point, uh, a, a critical one, though. Uh, so we kind of talked about how the, the passage opened, talked about the bulk of the middle. I want to look at this verse at the end. This is an interesting way to, to, to end the, one of the longest chapters in Scripture. Right, verse 89, when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak to the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony, from between the two cherubim, and it spoke to him. So Moses here goes into the tabernacle, this tent of meeting. He goes inside, goes into the inner room where there is the ark of the covenant, or the ark of the testimony, uh, which is a a golden box, essentially. Uh, it has a fancy, ornate lid on top, cover on top, uh, and, and carved into it are these, uh, are these statues of angels uh, with their wings pointed, uh, pointed towards the middle, these two cherubim carved on top. 
And what God says is, is that his, his special glory presence uh, will be enthroned between the cherubim, uh, between those angels. In other words, the picture is, this is God's throne room, and this is God's throne. Which is why when Moses hears a voice, it's the voice of God. It's, it's speaking from this, this throne. Now, it's, it's picture, it's symbol. God doesn't need a place to sit. Uh, but his special glory presence dwelling with his people. And, and here is Moses getting to go right, right into the, the throne room of God, as it were, and hear God speak to him. This picture of, of intimate relationship, intimate fellowship, uh, hearing the, uh, the voice of, of the Lord. Uh, it's exactly what, what God designed us to be and to do, to be in fellowship with the Lord, to hear the voice of our, of our shepherd. And here's Moses. He gets to go right in and do it. Interesting to compare this verse um, with what happened at the very beginning of chapter 7. I said we began chapter 7 with this, this little reference on the day when, when the tabernacle was set up and it was anointed. And that was described in great detail in Exodus 40. So if you did flip back to Exodus 40, here's what you'd see. Uh, a long process of anointing with oil all the different parts of the tabernacle. And then when that's all done, right, this is what takes place, number, number 7, verse 1. Uh, but Exodus describes that when that's all done, all that anointing, we're told that the glory of God comes and fills the tabernacle. The glory presence of God comes and fills the tent, and we're specifically told Moses couldn't go in. So number seven begins, uh, in terms of the chronology, begins with glory of God in the tabernacle, Moses can't go in. The chapter ends with Moses goes in. Okay, so what what, what changed? What, what, what changed between the beginning and the end? Before, he's not allowed in. Now he can go in. Is, is God somehow less glorious and less holy that now, now an unholy Moses can go in at the end where he couldn't in the beginning? No, God's equally holy. Uh, did God leave? No, God didn't leave, right? That's why Moses hears the voice uh, from between the cherubim. God's there. The glory presence of God is there. So what's, what's the difference that now Moses can enter in? Well, it's what we read about in chapter 7. Uh, what happened in the 12 days between Moses not allowed to go in and Moses allowed to go in is the ministry of the altar was kick-started. The, the ministry of the altar has begun. The altar where, where sacrifices are brought. The picture being uh, innocent, spotless uh, animal dies in place of guilty worshiper. Guilty worshiper, even the best of us, even the Moseses among us, the best, uh, the, the guilt of sin has him separated from God. God is that holy, that glorious, that even the best of us, stained with sin, cannot be in his presence. But with that, with that altar uh, going and now running in, in this picture of uh, the innocent dying for the guilty, the blood shed to cover sin, to wash away guilt. Now Moses goes right in. Can you see how this is a picture of what Jesus does? This is, this is our story. right? Who are we apart from Jesus? We are those who are kept at a distance from God. He is that holy. We are that unholy. 
that even the best of us would be kept at a distance from him. That very fellowship with God that is life, that is glory, that is all eternity, uh, that very thing, we're, we're kept at a distance from it because of our sin. But what does God do? God makes a way. Or, as we're talking about giving and receiving, God gives. God gives the ultimate gift, uh, the, the most powerful, transforming gift. He gives his son. He gives his son, the one who is the, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Right? What that, what that altar in the courtyard was a picture of now has come in this final gift that God has given, this, this climactic gift that God has given. God gives his son so that Jesus can come as this spotless lamb of God and can, can lay down his life. Uh, how, does, uh, how does scripture put it, Peter put it? Uh, he dies the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Exactly what we saw in Numbers 7. Right, the spotless lamb dies in place of guilty Moses. Now Moses can go right in. He's brought to God. Here's what it really is. Here's what our real hope is. Right? Jesus dies. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring us to God. So that, so that uh, Hebrews ends up saying, uh, we, can, we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Right? Hebrews even uses that uh, that that throne image of the of the of the the the, the ark, right? We can with confidence, and here not a not an earthly copy, but but the heavenly reality. We can enter in uh, to that throne, and it's a it's a throne of grace. We get entry not because we deserved it or gave a lot, and and, and God's now happy, but we can enter with confidence because God gave. He gave His Son. He made the way. And now we can, we can enter boldly. We can enter uh, powerfully in our time of need, knowing that God is, is free to draw us near to himself. God is, is, is delighting to welcome, to give help, because what Christ did. Because of what God gave. Uh, so here's the, here's the ultimate hope and focus. Uh, it, it's not what we give. It's what God gave to us. Uh, and there is where there is where we all need to start, uh, especially if you if you don't know Christ, um, if you're wrestling with what does it mean to be a Christian, not quite sure. And you know, the thing to take away from this this message on giving and receiving is not okay. Now I got to start giving more. Well, giving is good, as we've said, but, but the thing to highlight first and foremost is I need to receive some. I need to receive what I can't do for myself, uh, which is cleansing from sin, which is a way made to God. And there's only one way. It's Jesus. So, so the focus is receiving that gift. And if, if you're a believer, it's just, it's just, again, yes, this is what I need. And this is what God has given, freely. And, and rejoicing in that and trusting in that afresh. And like Hebrews says, we go, we go boldly into the throne of grace because Christ made the way. Christ made the way. And, and yes, part of our, our thankfulness in that is, is we respond in giving, but it's only flowing out of what God gave to us. So yes, we, we need to do both. Like, kind of like Christmas morning, right? Giving and receiving. 
You can't just pick one, but you also need to know the connection. It's all because God gave to us, even gave his son, made the way that we just give in thankfulness, in joy. And that's how, that's why it's a grace of giving, because God, God initiated, God gave to us. So let's, let's pray and rejoice in that. Lord, we, we do thank you for the, the merciful gift you've given in your son, the powerful grace that's in Christ. We pray, Lord, that, uh, that we, uh, we be those who give because our, Christ fills our hearts and minds. Uh, and Lord, and that would be what shines forth to one another and to the world, uh, the greatness of the gift of Christ, we pray. In his name, amen.